Poso maoni work, wai wanen kitanen ni mo e yoski pietaya posnotaman e yum MITW podcast. A yospis pietaya posnapi notaman and he sikimaka e yoso matnamene hokihi. Welcome to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Wapus. On this episode, we are joined by Vaughn Bowles, Public Information Officer for the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. Welcome, Vaughn. Hi, Sheena. Um, so, Vaughn, how concerning is it that the Delta strain is now the dominant variant in the U.S.? So let's back this up just as a point of order really quick. So I, sure. I saw I saw the question about the Delta strain being the most dominant. I was like, oh my gosh, is that true? Because I hadn't checked the numbers in a day or two. So mm-hmm. I went back and CDC says the Delta variant isn't the most dominant strain in the U.S. yet. Now, hmm. uh, the Alpha strain It's is, being it, reported it, as that. <laughs> I know, I know. Alpha strain still makes up 44, 44% of variants out there. The Delta strain mm-hmm. is rapidly catching up to it, and it makes up mm. about 30% of all variant cases out there right now. Um, okay. They do project that it probably will become the dominant strain because, you know, it's between 30 and, you know, 85% more, uh, shucks, not viable, easy to catch, well, just easy to contract. Um mm-hmm than some of the other variants out there. So it probably will become the dominant strain within the next few weeks, maybe two to four. Um, and we'll actually, we'll know more about that and stuff because the CDC updates their variant count every two weeks and stuff. So we'll find out more about that. Um, we can actually put that fun little link in the show notes. Um, locally though, Delta hasn't been a big thing yet. Um, the Wisconsin mm-hmm. DHS says that the variants um, have been in descending order. The alpha strain, which has caused 3,565 cases. The gamma strain has caused 302. Delta has only caused 83 in, in Wisconsin so far. And then the beta strain has caused 63. Um, mm-hmm. Now, like I said, Delta strain, it is kind of a big deal. And that's also why uh, the commission in charge of the Tokyo Olympics said they weren't going to allow any spectators in the events mm-hmm. um, because they would consider that a potential mass spreading event mm-hmm. um japan also only has about 15 percent of their population vaccinated for the wild strain of covid though so i could see why oh, they'd wow. want to take those extra precautions yeah. yeah so the u.s is actually doing really good in their vaccination program so that's that's where we are with that right now so we can expect the delta strain to become the dominant very very, very soon. possible yeah yeah i wouldn't and be surprised by that we can probably expect that maybe it's just coming to us locally a little slower. Right. Kind of like it did initially with the wild types, hit both of the coastlines mm-hmm. and then kind of moved into the center of the country. So it's sure. on its way. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. So I've heard this a couple times. Uh, is it true that with the variants um, that the younger population is now being hospital more being hospitalized for COVID rather than what we saw originally, which was like more older people. So I, I was looking at that too, and I'm like, is this getting hyped? Is this true? Um, mm-hmm. So right now, you know, age group between 29 and or 20 and 29 
um, makes up about 18% of the cases here in Wisconsin. And then the demographic of 30 to 39 makes up another 15%. So those are the, the demographic ranges with the highest amount of cases right now. Um, mm -hmm. That said, they still only make up about 4% of the cases that are actually being hospitalized by COVID. Um, it's still the seniors and the elderly that are at the highest risk for severe cases. So, um, you know, it's possible, you know, they're at higher risks of, of infection and maybe you're, they're seeing more of them now because of that, though. Okay. Um, so does that also possibly have anything to do with having like older people being more likely to be vaccinated? Then younger you know, people? Our, our older population, they have done a, a very good job of responding to the vaccination programs and mm -hmm. a higher degree of them are vaccinated. Um, you know, having a direct correlation of saying, you know, the younger people are less vaccinated and that's why they're, you know, having higher cases. It's very mm -hmm. plausible at this point, but mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to say whether or not it's a direct A to B type of line. Sure. Um, so... With our local vaccination stats that we have right now and the Delta variant being a threat in the near future, possibly, right. Right. Um, is it, are we in a good place right now with vaccination? Like, you know, it, or I, should we be worried? <laughs> I, I definitely think we should keep an eye on it. Um, I think we're, we're reaching a point in our vaccination program where we can significantly slow the community spread. Um, to date, Menominee Tribal Clinic has vaccinated 3,606 individuals. Um, now, these are members that live, tribal members that live outside of the reservation, tribal employees, tribal members on the reservation, and county residents and stuff. So there's there's kind of a mix. Um, DHS says that uh, specifically for Menominee County and or the reservation, because borders are basically the same, um, there are 2,364 individuals that are fully vaccinated, another 217 that are partially vaccinated. Now, if you look at that number and look at the 813 cases of COVID we had on the county or in the county and on the reservation, um, that means that there are approximately 3,187 people that potentially are immune to COVID, the wild case, and, and variants. So that's about 70% of our population. That's pretty close to a herd immunity right now. So um, I, I definitely think it has a harder chance of, of breaking into the community and, and spreading like it did the first time around. Um, mm -hmm. but I don't think we get a j get out of jail free card on this one. So it's right. definitely something we should, you know, keep an eye on. Um, okay. So I know you've said several times that the Delta variant is more dangerous because it's more infectious. Um, so why is that? Why is it more infectious than other strains? So it's, it's pretty safe to say that at this point, everybody's seen either a picture of or kind of a representation of the COVID virus. It's that little ball with mm -hmm. all the little spikes and points. Spikes. You know, yeah. popping out of it. Yeah, the spikes. Those are the spikes. <laughs> so the Delta variant has about 15 major mutations known as substitutions in its spike proteins. So the proteins are made of amino acids. You go back to your basic chemistry and it talks about your, you know, your AGD and Cs. Um, and so somewhere along the line, um, those proteins got either exchanged, swapped, deleted, etc. Well, 
these 15 little mutations cause two fairly significant structural changes to the spike protein on Delta. And that allows the, the virus to more easily attach to and enter into the cell. So it's basically biochemistry in action. And that's why it can, it's more infectious and stuff. Okay. I did see something about like having, having a lot more of the virus when you're infected yeah yeah when the other when strains you, when it enters into the into the the system and stuff um it it actually kind of ramps through the cellular machinery a little faster than say the alpha or the gamma variants um and so it does produce more virus intercellularly too so um it attaches easier it spreads more because eventually the cell bursts and releases all the viral particles and mm -hmm. you know <laughs> okay, so you were telling me that there's something going on with Pfizer recommending a booster shot, possibly. And yeah, Pfizer. Yeah, Pfizer wanted to release a, a booster shot um, to improve people's immunity against the variants that were out there. And so this week they applied to the CDC um, with their petition or recommendations, as it were. And CDC came back with a pretty long statement that was very specific, and I was. I was kind of surprised to see it, but we just like talk about it a little bit. Um, they said Americans who are fully vaccinated don't need a booster shot at this time. I was like, oh, that's that's pretty specific. And they said the F, the FDA, CDC, and NIH are engaged in science-based rigorous process to consider uh, whether or when a booster might be necessary. And this process takes into account laboratory data, uh, clinical trial data cohort data, which can include uh, data ROMs, uh, specific pharmaceutical companies, and it does not rely on those data exclusively. So they're saying, you know, we're not just going to take Pfizer's word for it. We're going to look into it. Um, we're going to have third parties look into this. Uh, and then they, they went on to say, you know, we're prepared for a booster dose if and when the science demonstrates that it's necessary. And so right now, if you've been vaccinated, they say you're in pretty good shape and you shouldn't have to worry too much about the variants. So that's where we are with that. I, I was fairly encouraged and thought that was great news. Um, so <clears throat> not to put a damper on your good news. <laughs> no, go ahead and rain on that parade. <laughs> okay. So I did see an article that talked about a recent study that came out that showed that 75% of COVID patients still had symptoms a year later. So can you just talk about what some of those long-term symptoms are kind of showing up as? Yeah. So let's, let's take a step back from that claim as well too, because okay. <laughs> sometimes things get a little conflated. So, um, sure. I've, been, I've been looking, I looked at a bunch of different news articles and then I went to like medical incredible sources and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. so some of the news articles claim anywhere from between 23% to 75% have long-term complications and stuff after COVID. And I was like, wow, mm -hmm. that's, that's a pretty wide margin for error right there. <laughs> sure. Um, CDC, uh, some of their studies like with UC Davis have nailed down that number closer to like 10% at this point, which is oh, wow, really good. Oh, that's a lot lower. Yeah, it's significantly <laughs> lower than 75%. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they're, they're still running a lot of those tests right now. A lot of the major um, long-term studies concluded in April, so that's when we got a lot of information around it. And we haven't heard too much more about it since then, um, but they are doing more of the long-term studies. Um, but they are thinking it's closer to 10% for adults. Um, for young children, they have 
kind of pin that number right around 13 to 15%, depending on whether they're, you know, over the age of you know, 13 or under the age of 13. Um, and so between right around, you know, teens seems to be the most prevalent and stuff. And it makes sense. Teenagers have all kinds of crazy biological changes going on. Their immune system is <laughs> going crazy all the time, just like every other mm-hmm. system in their body. And so about 15% of them seem to have these long-term complications. That said, that is, that is concerning though. Cause like, yeah, you know, yeah your children have the possibility, possibility of being affected right, for a long right. time. And so that's, that's part of the reason, you know, they've been so adamant about, you know, vaccinating those that are, you know, as young as 12 and stuff and, and really trying to make sure that they're protected against it. Um, and they're they're really talking about what they're considering. Um, they call it MIS or multi-system inflammatory syndrome. Um, it's a multi-organ type of scenario that affects um, you know the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, the eyes, and the brain function. I really COVID just isn't just a respiratory illness. It really damages your entire body. It's really strange that way. Um, and because it damages so much of your body, you know, long-term effects can be things like tiredness or fatigue, difficulty concentrating, which they're calling brain fog. That's one I definitely don't need to pick up. So I'm going to try to avoid that. <laughs> uh, you can experience headaches. Uh, you can have long-term loss of your sense of smell or taste. Um, you can have dizziness upon standing. Uh, you can have what are known as heart palpitations or your heart beating really fast for unexplained reasons. Uh, it can cause chest pains, difficulty breathing, a long-term cough, uh, joint and muscle pains. You can have depression from it and anxiety or long-term fevers that come in waves. Um, and you can also have uh, any sort of um, behavioral health disorder exacerbated by it. So if you have depression, it could get really bad. Or if you have you know, some other condition, um, it kind of just makes it worse. So... Those are some of the the issues that uh, could be experienced after after a case of COVID. So, do you have any final message for people? You know, this week I would I would really strongly encourage people to to get vaccinated. Um, getting vaccinated is a lot safer than going the risk of of getting infected, and so. You know what? We want people to live as long and healthy and happy lives as possible. And so we just encourage that and hope you and your family stay safe out there. Thank you, Vaughn. You bet. Waiwanan for listening to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also listen to the podcast on menominee-nsn.gov under the community tab. Keep up to date by following us on Facebook at MITW Podcasts. I do weekly updates with Vaughn. I welcome any community questions you have regarding COVID-19, so please send those to us via email at podcast at MITW.org.